Cusco City, 8 a.m., breakfast time, belly's full, inspired, motivated, ready to go. Thank you again for choosing the Uber Spaceline Express. You are now departing Earth. Enjoy your trip. We're going to Mars. kitties yeah. during the pandemic <laughs> during the pandemic Peru version Peru version <laughs> Cusco version Peru version Lima to Cusco version yes so who are nomadic kitties we are first generation immigrant American travelers and some of us are US born some of us are not U.S. born. Some of us are previously illegal, undocumented. Some of us have parents that have been deported. All of us are curious about the world and what the fuck is happening Yes, with the pandemic. Exactly. This episode talks about a little bit about my migration story and my family's migration story. This episode, we're talking about why travel during the pandemic, a little bit about why, how we're doing this, why we're doing this, how we became nomads, and uh, our travels from Lima to Cusco. We went from Lima to Cusco. We've been in Cusco now almost a month. So yeah, tune in. Yes. <laughs> and tune in till the end because we're going to answer some questions that we didn't know the answer to yeah. throughout the podcast. So yup. <laughs> And if you guys want to support, y'all can become members yes. at patreon.com slash eatmeland. We're super excited for this. We're going to be launching a few behind the scenes. And if you're a Patreon member, you get this footage. You get the full you guys audio. You get the full episode. The yes. full episode. Full episode. So that's like amazing and magic and a lot because there's a lot of wonderful things happening here yes. so we hope you guys enjoy this adventure <laughs> okay exciting oh wait we can't even make noise with these we should open them yeah up. open them up it's gonna be distracting <laughs> these are nuts we're opening up nuts where's la parada what is la parada la parada is a wholesale market where most vendors in the marketplaces that you see around go and buy their stuff oh. we didn't get to go there but that's where my family's bought everything that they've ever sold their chicken their um vegetables when they were selling chaufas all the all the things that you could ever need so it's okay. kind of like and we talked about this already, but it's kind of like El Mercado de Abastos in Mexico. Si, exacto. Which is like a wholesale market. Yes. I think what's cool about Peru and Mexico is that there's a whole bunch of little markets yeah. that are not big chains, like Pick and Save and Walmart. Right. And Fresh Food Daily and accessible, like a menu. A menu. What is a menu? A menu is a, it's a lunch. So it's like the most affordable lunch. It's what working people get. And you get it at the market. And you get it at the market. We'll yeah, the it's market. like between six to diez soles a day. Sometimes they're even less. And it's a good, it's a soup. It's, an, it's a segundo, which is a rice meal with something. And fills you up. Yeah. And you save money. 
that is one of the most beautiful parts about being in these places. Mm -hmm. The food. The food is so fresh. Mm -hmm. Okay, so right now we are in Peru. Yep. And by Cusco we, City. Cusco City, <laughs> the original Incan capital. Yes. 11,000 feet above sea level. Thank you. Oh, I had no idea. So 11, it took a while to adjust. When we first Wait. got here, we were, I was short of breath. I'm still nauseous. short on breath. <laughs> Every time good. I go up a flight of stairs, I'm just like, <gasps> why am I so tired? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's normal. Yeah, it is. It is. Because the altitude is so high yes. and so different. You guys performed while up 11,000 feet on the first night that we were here. So big up to y'all. That shit was a challenge that was fucking cool yes i can't believe the musicians just let us perform they I were just like love. you guys are musicians you want to go on the stage was, yeah that was, love. that was love i love it i think that was just solidarity amongst musicians it's been a tough time musicians are just starting to play again quarantine was lifted just a few months ago and up until just then, a few months ago but now we're restarting there's there's conversation that it's coming back it's starting it's starting january 31st till february 14th so we're gonna be under quarantine. There's specifications as to like which locals are gonna have which type of curfews. Curfews are going up. Quarantine is restarting because of this new variant of COVID. Peru, that's how they've been dealing with the pandemic, just shutting down everything, which in my opinion makes things worse. And I don't think the curfew works either because you're jamming everyone into transportation to get home in time versus allowing there to be a healthier flow mm -hmm. of people in and out. Everyone's everyone has a different buses. schedule. Yep. Everyone has their own different type of lifestyle. Yeah. There's already been like scientific research that's been done on, on countries that have done curfews in COVID. And from what I understand it's it's been pretty ineffective at actually controlling the virus. Right. Mm. How so? Because it doesn't like it doesn't solve the under it doesn't really solve the underlying problem of how the virus is spreading you're just shutting people out of like the public and out of businesses but that's not stopping people from gathering in their homes or like that's having true. parties and that kind of thing and that's not just in peru that's in the u.s yeah. that's yeah. everywhere covid parties covid like, parties know, like, this is worldwide it's human behavior this virus is really challenging us as a species right because it's not letting us socialize which is what we need and love to do. I was reading an article about how Peru's government dropped the ball. They were one of the last to buy tests. The tests that they bought were not effective. They had a lot of false positives, a lot of false negatives, and that, I feel like, was really why things got so out of control, on top of the fact that their healthcare system was so underfunded. But, like, okay, before we talk about all that in the healthcare system, I want us to talk about how I feel like there's a divide because... There are people that believe in the healthcare system, and then there are people like me who don't believe in the healthcare system. I do believe in the virus. I do believe that it exists and that it does make people sick. But I, and I also believe that we don't need the healthcare system to heal ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we can, to a certain extent, avoid the virus with plants and generating our own health, being more conscious of what we eat. Absolutely. I feel like the reason why we are so deep with this virus is because people are so used to consuming processed shit. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a, a huge element to it. And our cities, our cities have so much pollution. Like, yeah, like a city like Lima, like 
I was this is my first time in Peru and I was so surprised because mm. you know when I first got here and I saw Lima like whoa so much dust so much dirt mm -hmm. there's no plants so dry yeah so dry first. and even from the cab driver because we got a crazy cab driver <laughs> who has had a really crazy experience here in Peru he's not Peruvian he's an immigrant from another country he's an immigrant from Venezuela and I had no idea that Venezuelans had such a hard or different experience here in Peru I didn't even know that there was a fluctuation of Venezuelans from there to Peru Yeah. And this guy was just like shitting on Peru. He was like, Peru is ugly. It's a terrible country. There's nothing beautiful. And I believed him for a second because when I was looking out of the car in Lima, seeing all of these dry buildings, seeing all of this like just terrible urbanization, mm -hmm. like there's urbanization can be done well and it can be done like shit. Yeah. And in Lima, I was like, whoa. What happened? Yeah, like yeah. there's there's just like a lot of little buildings stacked up on top of each other, mm -hmm. like little shacks. Yeah. City of Mexico is kind of similar, mm -hmm. but there's a bit more plants. A little greener. I agree. I agree. But yeah, then Cusco. Now being here in Cusco, holy shit. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's mm -hmm. what I I've been telling y'all like Cusco is one of the most beautiful cities that I've ever been to. Yeah. So this man was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think yeah. Venezuelans have been immigrating for the last few years. I don't know how many years, but it's been a while. And absolutely, I mean, Lima is interesting because I didn't know that Lima was green. The Lima that I've known since I've been coming here since I was four years old was dry and dirty and smelled like dirt. And I was always like, oh, he smells, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you coming here as like an American child because your, your family is Peruvian. Right. They, they were born in Peru, right. but you were born in the U.S. Right. So you coming from America, did you feel like, Ugh. I was such a brat the first time I came. I was like, all these flies, get them away. What are these bugs? <laughs> I remember a little like fragments of memory of me being like, ew, ew, a lot, you know. The smells. I remember when I told my family, I was like, I always know I landed in Peru because it smells like llama. And they were so offended. <laughs> <laughs> this is Lima, right? Because that's where I land. And they were so offended. I remember their friends like, damn, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but that it was, yeah, the, the smells are striking. The flies, the garbage, you know. Sometimes people burn garbage. You're not supposed yeah. to. Yeah. It's, it's a lack of, of infrastructure. I don't even know what these sounds are. Steph says that they're shots. I think they're gunshots. I think really? that they're... I don't she think they're gunshots. <laughs> I, maybe. But I did acclimate to it, and I did love the certain things about it. First off, the family and community that I had, like siblings that I never had as an only child. It was interesting. This time around, I came with my entire family and my uncle, um, my uncle Carlos, who also grew up in Peru and Lima, was telling me that this isn't what it always looked like. Hmm. It used to be greener. There used to be large lands of oh, yeah, and burning trees. garbage. Burning garbage. Burning garbage is super toxic. That's the first time I ever saw burning garbage. But I don't blame the people because the They're garbage system probably sucks. Yeah, yeah. But damn, that's not how we fix it. No, <laughs> it's not how we fix it, but it's neglect. So you say that it used to be different? It used to be green. That's what my uncle told me. And it was, you know, I was like, oh, wow. You know, because I always known it as like the dirt mountains, the cerros, all dry. Yeah, it used to be green. And it goes back to the urbanization of Lima. There was really no regard, I think, from what my uncle relays mm -hmm. on the green and the need for green space. It was yeah. really just kind of, let's fill it up. We have a lot of people migrating into it. 
And so I, I think they just rushed into building, rushed yeah. into making the make, make it a city. Make it a city. I know that the, the population of the city ballooned dramatically in just like, you know, 80 years, but that's a short time in the 20th century. Like between 1930 or 1940 and 2020, the population went from about a half a million to now over, I think it's like over nine million that's wow. crazy why wow yeah why what happened why? yeah <laughs> i don't know i'm not i'm not a historian of lima by any means but i mean i mean that that's happened like all throughout the world um oh is like, it just like people having babies and like like just more people having more babies well it's interesting because that timeline is what my grandmother fits in she's not a native limeña she's arequipeña mm. and, and arequipa is arequipe is close to, to cusco so, I'm like 30 an hour three hours away three to five from almost. Cusco from Cusco but City. from Lima it's like probably from like from Lima it's 13 14 hours away driving yeah, Arequipa is like almost Maybe. on the border with Bolivia right yeah yeah Arequipa is south it's closer to Bolivia so your grandma was originally from Arequipa she's originally from Arequipa and she migrated when she was 13 years old she took her sister and they originally came to Lima as servants as as they worked in homes they made contracts with people similar to the way that right. we, like South Asians, Filipinos now yeah. make contracts with other people to travel. Mm-hmm. They made similar contracts for a year. Um, they was supposed to be paid a certain amount. They endured a lot of abuse because they're. I mean, the cleaning industry is like that. Serving like people, servitude. yeah, it's like slavery. You know, yeah. they pay you something, but still. The things you have to endure. So how did how did your family like transition from that industry? to now the food industry because y'all are like now you're not even in your family's not even in peru it's in in the u.s it's in new york city yes. you guys are fucking food vendors yep peruvian japanese food you yep. you won the fucking vendi Vendor. awards oh! all teamwork it was beautiful that shit was fucking amazing i was there that <laughs> day were there. and there was there were amazing vendors <laughs> there like there were amazing Amazing. amazing food Kingston food truck shout out to y'all because y'all saved us with the fire extinguisher <laughs> we didn't bring it was a beautiful day of community the fucking churros the churros were bomb Taco the bar- Taco- ah! that's also in Queens check them out but you guys fucking won so yeah. how did you guys transition from like cleaning uh, well it's funny I've asked my grandma this because I've been living with her for a few months and I was like, like tell me a story and she basically said, I realized that I don't want to work for anyone. They, they hit me. I didn't want to do that. And she decided to sell things because she was like, I'm going to be my own boss. And she started selling fish. She learned be she your learned own by boss. Watching. She be your own boss. She started by watching. She said I would stand in front of a stand because I asked people to teach me and they didn't want to teach me. My grandmother doesn't know how to read. She didn't know how to write. She went to the, the most education she got was third grade. And she learned how to do math becoming an entrepreneur. That's she didn't crazy. learn. She didn't know it. So, yeah, she, she was watching food vendors, street food vendors. That's how she started as a street food vendor in Lima. Watching, 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 learned how to do it and just started emulating and started her own business. Through that, she met my grandfather whose mom was already a vendor of food. And so she started then Your grandfather. My grandfather's mother, Abuelita Santos. Ah. So they... Oh, the breakfast. Breakfast Hold on, let's take a little pause. Muchas gracias. Que rico. Gracias. Gracias. So this episode is being sponsored by Hotels City of the World, Cusco. And we want to give a really big shout out to this space because it was our home 
It's, it is our home for the whole month of February. Yep. And we really appreciate it. It's ran by a family, a Swedish man and a Peruvian woman with cute little babies. Mm -hmm. And the best, well, not the best part, but kind of the best part is it has an awesome little coffee shop where we are sitting right now. Yeah, it's the cutest little coffee shop called Monkey Cafe. Um, the owner is Peruvian, he's originally from Lima, and he's really dope. This spot is really dope. What are, what's your favorite thing? My favorite thing is the chocolate, the hot chocolate. That's it's not the true. It's true. What and the it? brownie. Oh, no. <laughs> Shut up! Oh, my goodness. Okay. I have several favorite things. Ranking them from one to three. I'll just share three. The wings are number one. Oh my god, the <laughs> but wings. But why? Because they're so delicious. I think they but have... how are they different from American wings? I think they have maracuya dressing. The sauce. The sauce. <laughs> so it's all about the sauce. It's all about the sauce, y'all. Then I love their brownie, and I love their hot chocolate. Because I'm a chocolate lover over here. Um, and they have soy milk. And they have soy milk. <laughs> the pisco sour. Oh yeah. It's spectacular. <laughs> Actually, yes. <laughs> I think that might surpass the brownie. Maybe the wings. No, but no. <laughs> I have my list. You have your list. I have right. my list. <laughs> Alitas all day, yeah. number one. Chocolate, then the pisco. But it is the best pisco we've yeah. had in Cusco. Um, it's a great time. Beautiful views. And the community comes here. I think that's what I really love about it. They have a little thrift shop. He does great like partnerships with other folks in the community. So, yes. So, so shout out to these two amazing businesses. Tim <laughs> family and Jose. Amazing, amazing folks. Yeah. Out in Cusco. Hey, so love. Yeah, come through. This is one of the best spots. So thank y'all for sponsoring this episode. Saksawaman. Like a few steps from Saksawaman. And it's beautiful because it just overlooks the whole fucking city. And there's mountains. There's mountains. There's hills everywhere. Green hills. Mm-hmm. Beautiful green hills. You can still see the terraces that were used to farm. We're back in the day. Back in the day. They're dying, unfortunately, because the folks are not working the land. But everything that exists can be rebuilt. We have a waterfall right beside us. Yeah, we do. Gorgeous. You guys hear the water? But I will say one thing, and this is something that I've been telling Steph and Alex, it's that no hostel is perfect. <laughs> you can apply that to everything. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Expectations are the killers of happiness. Yes. Oh, that's, that's the phrase. <laughs> but it's funny because we went from one hostel that was right near the plaza. Right near, but we were right in the Centro Historico, so the cathedrals. Um, and it was a beautiful hostel too. Like, beautiful. I want to give it props because it had great working spaces. Um, we were able to lock in a really great price with both of these because we're staying in dorms. And I know this is not going to sound cute, but shout out to Quarantine because mm -hmm. through the dorms, they can only have four people where they would normally have eight. And that's just fucking amazing because we're paying, how much are we paying right now? Right For here. four days. We paid fifty nine dollars for two nights at Selena. And here it's total three oh six dollars, which translates to I feel like about a hundred bucks. A little less. Yeah, I think it was like it's 96. less because uh, for four nights. 
breakfast included. Amazing mm-hmm. breakfast. The breakfast is amazing. Two, two sandwiches. Vegetarian. I'm really hungry. We've been cooking too. But the, the okay, they don't have a kitchen here, so if you're trying to cook, just don't try. <laughs> but Selena does have a kitchen. Both hostels offer different things, but I think it's breathtaking here. Like it's just so beautiful, and I think it was worth it. We had both experiences. Oh yeah, hostels. Stay in a hostel if you're trying to save money. Save money. Yeah, and I do like that. They not fill. They don't fill up the rooms. <laughs> Because we have so much space. I can't imagine how it would be with eight people. No, that would go crazy. You'd have to get a private. Mm-hmm. <laughs> eight people in one bathroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be oh my God. And then I feel like you can hear everything. Like I can hear you breathing. Can you? <laughs> and and you like, hear me tossing and turning. I toss and yeah. turn so much. But I, I heard both of you tossing and turning, even at Selena. Yeah. Because we're in a. But we were closer. closer. We do have a little bit more distance in this room, yeah. but I can still. Well, I'm also sensitive. You to also sound. can hear vibrations <laughs> of a silent phone. That's true. Oh, I'm very God. sensitive to sound. You have bionic ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll finish telling the story of my grandmother. Yeah, in favor, entrepreneurship. Yeah. So my great grandmother Santos, also an Arequipeña. There was a lot of folks that migrated, like Alex says. So I feel like I would like to know why, but yeah. they also were part of that migration into Lima. Um, and she taught her how to sell. My grandfather taught her how to do math because in the beginning she wasn't making enough money. So this is her who ended up becoming her husband. Oh no, I messed up. She started by making dresses. My grandmother, I asked Before her, fish. Before fish. Fish was what my grandmother, my great grandmother taught her. The first thing she started to do was making dresses because my grandmother's first passion in life was sewing and making dresses. Um, we asked her what she would do if she had like been able to pick her career and she said she said I would love to design dresses so low-key a fashion designer Ooh. so that's how she started and she didn't make a lot of money because she didn't know math well um, and she was very generous her big old heart she was giving it for people Piao, which is you know pay me later and well some people didn't pay her later through that she met my grandpa met his mom and they really mentored and trained her in entrepreneurship. Um, but this is your grandpa who then became her husband. Yeah. Ah. Grandpa Indalesio. Indalesio. Yes. Grandpa Indalesio. And your grandma's name? Santos. Grandma Santos. Yeah. So Santos and Indalesio became a love business. Grandpa? What's that? Is that the Japanese grandpa? Yeah. So ah. San, my great grandmother Santos was sold to a Japanese man. And that's why she has Japanese and Peruvian children. So it's from the Santo side. It's from your grandma's side. My great grandma's side. Your yeah. great grandma. Yeah, the Japanese man was from Puno, I believe. He was like a, some high position over there. And, and there's a lot of Japanese like culture influence here in Peru. Huge migration as well. Yeah, and they ascended the ranks in terms of political power and things like that, and, and business and stuff like oh. that. I don't know how, <laughs> but maybe it was the discipline, maybe it was the mindset that they came to Peru and they usually held, yeah, positions of power, well, you still see that now, like the fact that we had a Peruvian, uh, Japanese president, you know, for so many years, it ended up being like a little dictator, <laughs> hmm. but Fujimori, but, um, so yeah, so that's where the Japanese descendants come from, my grandmother. And I don't know his name, but he's Japanese man. Okay, so your grandma met your grandpa, yeah. and then his 
mom taught my grandmother about entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Selling fried fish. Yeah, and then she started to see more money and making more money. My grandfather was a stonemason, a pica piedra. Oh. So he did, wow. he did rock work. Our house, you can see it. I think I showed a few parts of it. The bathroom floor is what's left. That um, in the living room area, there's a safe there. Mm. And it, that he made that and from stone. And the wall in the back of my aunt's room is all stones that he placed to. And then from there, they went to the U.S. My grandmother came knowledge. to the U.S. when she was 50-something, I believe. Wow, so she wasn't even young. No, she, she was that, already she, midlife. She says she did her American dream in her late ages. That's dope as hell because it really shows you that you can start life over at any fucking age. It's only over when you're dead. Hey. You, if, you're, if you're breathing, <laughs> if you can think and you can do, she, she did it. She's the hardest wow, working person 56, I know. Wow, 56, bro. She outworks anyone. Like, I stand next to her to this day and age, and I'm just like, shit, I am How old is she now? She is, she would not like me saying her age, but she is she 79. <laughs> 79. She should be proud of that. She's so, 79. Yeah. yeah. I feel like she's definitely a matriarch. Absolutely. And she's like the the stone of your family. Absolutely. I would that's beautiful because mm -hmm. y'all have been able to successfully make a food business in New York City like if yeah. you can make it in there you can make it anywhere it's a tough market yeah and it was built little by little you know she said I crawled before I walked and I walked before I ran you know it was a process mm -hmm. I think that's what I admire you know how there's wounds that our families carry there's also lessons and strengths and like mm. what I draw from my grandmother is definitely the resilience you know, to keep going. At first, she didn't sell one tamale. I used to go out with her. She'll have me eat and like, mmm, this is so good. And, you know, perform <laughs> to try to get people to buy at 10 years old, you know. And she was just figuring out where she can sell. And there were days where she made 20 and we took 20 home and we ate them little by little. She taught me patience in a way. Patience with the product, patience with people getting to know you. I think a lot of entrepreneurs nowadays fall into the, I'm not making no money. It's been a month. It's been three months. It's been six months, you know? But like, Entrepreneurship is hard as fuck. And it takes a lot of time. And I think people need to realize that and be patient with it. Absolutely. Because, you know, Absolutely. yeah, that's just... It just takes time. You just gotta be patient. And every failure is a lesson. That's every, another yeah, thing. we gotta encourage failure. No, that's another thing that my grandmother, like, her failures are lessons, and I love how she envelops that. Like, part of why her tamales are so good, and I will say that they are freaking delicious, is because she's been experimenting, and to this day, she tries tamales, she sees what they're doing, and if, if it's something needs to be changed, she changes it to make it even better. So um, if you're ever in New York, go to Queens, <laughs> And eat some antojitos Doña Fela. Yeah, you can Google us and we'll show up on Google Maps. We're on 90th and Roosevelt um, on weekends. And we also have expanded to doing lunch menus. They're all $10, so they're super affordable. I get one of my lunch menus and I eat them for two days. So it's, you know, Peruvian portion. <laughs> mm. mm. So, okay, I want to now bring this conversation back into... A migration, because that's a beautiful story, you know, like, oh. we're all migrating, we've been migrating, none of us, nobody can say that they're really from somewhere, and, you know, right now, even at the table, we have uh, Peruvian Dominicana, 
A staff. <laughs> we have a Brazilian Russian. Russian Jew. Russian Jew. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's a, they're, they're different. <laughs> what tribe you from, boo? <laughs> Yeah, you're right. They are different. And I do Because they're, they're the immigrants in Russia. Yeah. That, that's, and also, like, without your Jewish side, you wouldn't have been able to make it to the U.S. Your family, very true, your very dad. True. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. That, that definitely helped my dad's family. Yes. And, and then me, I'm a Mexican immigrant with... I don't even know what goes back to the Mexican because everybody's, yeah. you know, mixed we after that. Up, yeah. But now it comes into this time where... All three of us have decided to be nomadic, digital nomads. And, you know, I think we're going to get a lot of backlash from people. That's, you know, people are going to say, like, why are you guys traveling during COVID? And before we answer that, or I guess in combination to answering that, why do you guys think that it's important, it's important to be nomadic? Or why do you identify with being a digital nomad? I think... Do you want to start? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> I think I had... It's so funny because I had this conversation with my cousin about how nomadicness is more natural. Because she loves to travel. We all love to travel. It's something that is very big in our family. I think it goes back to my grandmother taking us around Peru to travel nationally, you know, to different cities. Um... But I think it's a very natural thing. I think it's how we keep inspiration and motivation going. I think it's an important part of mental health to be migrating. It's a longer Why? part. That's important. Why? I think it's because it's a longer part of a biology, but also changing your environment helps you change energy around. Your perspective. Your perspective. Introduce Adaptation. yourself to other things. Challenging your body to adapt like we are. 11,000 feet above sea level. Um, so all those things, you know, are important to keeping our bodies. Our bodies love it, the challenge. Our minds love it, the challenge. And so I feel like it's important to help us be healthy and grow. Unfortunately, society has really centered around settling people down. And like we're, most, peop most people in my family would think I'm nuts, would say, you know, why? It's crazy. You need to settle. You need to buy a house and get into that big amount of debt. And You're right. That is a big trend right now. That's the norm. I see a lot of my friends celebrating like, oh my God, I just bought my first house. But you know what? That's cool and all, but that's just not my dream. Like, I personally right now don't believe in home ownership. I don't believe in owning land. I believe like in traveling and going different places, living different places, trying to do it the cheapest way possible. Or not even the cheapest way possible, but, you know, just filling it up with different experiences. Mm -hmm. Because I do feel stagnant if I buy property. Mm. And I, I'm just there. It's a weight. It's a financial debt. Like, it's a burden to take on. What are mortgages? 30, 40, 50 years, you know? Yeah. So it's a really long But also, commitment. it just feels like, aside from being like financially stagnant, it also feels physically stagnant. Because I'm just in mm -hmm. one space. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. I think we're meant to go places. We're meant yeah. to be indifferent. We were, yeah. like, you know, traveling. With, wait, now I want Alex to come in because you have more of these facts because of the book Sapien mm. and the foragers. Mm -hmm. So, please, why is it important for you to be a digital home? Well, I just, I just think that um, having to pay rent on an apartment and feeling tied to that apartment is uh, pretty terrible. Yeah, we were all living in New York. Mm -hmm. 
And that shit is expensive. One of the highest rents. Mm -hmm. And now we're free. We are rent free. Well, yeah. we're not really rent free because we're still. We still have to pay rent, but yeah, in hostels. Yes. Yes. But talk a little about about, about sapiens. I feel like it's a dope ass book. I didn't finish it. I didn't finish it either because it got depressing. <laughs> Well, all, all you need to know is that humans have spent uh, about 95% of their existence as hunter-gatherers, as foragers, as nomads. Um, and I think they, they were saying in the book that, like, a human tribe could, like, one human tribe could move about 200 miles over 40 years. Um, and that, like over the course of like 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 well b basically that um and, and, and humans weren't like all running running all over the world like you know a lot of them would a lot of them would kind of stay in a general area but or a region but they would move around that region in search of food so they would they would kind of do this back and forth thing across different terrains but it, but it, it 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 literally took like centuries and millennia for humans to move across continents. Mm. So that's and to become farmers, right? And to yeah. start farming the land. Because we were foragers, we were finding berries, mm -hmm. we were finding naturally growing plants, naturally existing. Okay, we used to be more hunter. Okay, see th that's why like being vegan or and or being vegetarian is kind of a little bit uh, controversial because I feel like as foragers, we definitely, people probably ate more meat. But I thought that it showed that we sustained ourselves more from what we foraged than what we hunted. And most of what we foraged was like nuts and plants, and that was a bigger part of the diet than meat. Okay. Meat was like... I, I actually was putting I was putting meat into foraging, but now you're breaking up the two categories. The hunting is, is the animal. And the foraging is the the plants, the berries, the fruits. That's what I understood. I don't know if they talk about in the book what what proportion of people's diets were meat versus plants and fungi. So I'm not I'm not really sure about that. Um, but you know, a couple other facts about agriculture is that you know that that the forager diet was a lot healthier for the human body because it was more varied. It had more nutrients, more different kinds of more different kinds of plants and stuff. Yeah, um, and and then you know, an agricultural diet was much less healthy because it, it was more based on grain, grains and rice and potatoes. And that um, when humans transitioned to that kind of diet, they had a lot more health problems like um, disease and di digestion, um, digestive problems because it's grain is hard for the body to digest. Um, and also, also the fact that they were living in settlements was, and also that they were domesticating animals. Like all of those factors contributed to more viral disease outbreaks. Um, and and the yeah, and, and the crazy, the craziest thing about uh, farming is that they they talked about in this book like a deadly trap. Is that once once a, once you started farming and you settled, you can never go back to being um, being a forager because. Because, because when you settle and you start farming, then births increase. 
and and because births increased you had to keep feeding those mouths and so you couldn't just you couldn't stop farming and go back to foraging because there were too many mouths to feed and therefore you had to keep growing the settlement and so it was kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy I feel like in a, in a beautiful world, in the future, we would be migrating around the world and that like, infrastructure would support that in some well, organized way. <laughs> in a beautiful world. <laughs> but you know what? I think in the world that we live in today, with everything that's happening right now, migration is going to continue to happen. And because some countries, like right now with Peru, that is about to do a lockdown because of COVID, you know, you mentioned that some people are going to be moving out of the country. Like, they're going to want to leave the country. And, I mean, I think what's coming up for humans is going to be kind of crazy and scary. And that's why we got to prepare. We got to... Well, it's funny that I, I want to say that we should grow our own food because it goes against foraging. But what is the other solution? I think we're going to see some major migration patterns. But... We will continue this journey. Well, my whole reason for being a nomad at this moment is because I've been undocumented for 21 fucking years. And that means you can't go anywhere. You have to stay in one country. And I finally had papers. So, of course I'm going to travel. Let's the use them. <laughs> Vamos a ver el mundo. Exacto. We're going to go see the world. Yeah. For me, at a personal level, the opportunity to be able to migrate and move has arisen because I've been able to leave my job, because I've been able to establish an income, now is the time for me to do it. And I feel like living in fear kills my soul, it kills all of our souls. I think there's caution, but then there's fear, and when you live in fear, I just, I feel like it holds you back. My reason for going is just timing, opportunity, seize the opportunities where they are. For me, this opportunity arose to do it with a dope tribe, we also have the circumstances to do it, so that's why, on a personal level, I'm here, and I'm doing this. Traveling during a pandemic is definitely interesting, <laughs> pretty wild to see how from New Jersey to New York to Milwaukee to Mexico to Peru, from the big from the biggest cities to the smallest towns, everyone is wearing masks anywhere you look. Yeah, even at the beach. But yeah. Not, but I feel like they practice it less at the beach. Towns. <laughs> yeah. Doing this is is inherently risky, uh, and at the same time, staying in the U.S. right now is inherently risky. It's still we're still leading the world in cases and deaths. Um, we are. Yeah. I didn't know that. More than Brazil? <laughs> yeah, as far as I know. Then why are people not banning the U.S., but they're banning Brazil? <laughs> I'm sure people are banning the U.S. I mean, we had to take a test it. before we were allowed in the country. Yeah, that's true. So, that, you know, there's that. But I just feel like Brazil no. is getting really bad. Yeah, they're literally banned. Yes. I mean, maybe maybe there's some, you know, racism and classism that goes no into that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's inherently dangerous, but unfortunately, there's kind of like no safe place in the world to be right now. So it, it is what it is. I mean, you know, for context, like all of my family in Brazil got the virus and got COVID. My grandma, my mom's mom was on her ass um, and they, you know, they never left home. Uh, and then back home, my mom just got COVID 
and she hasn't been back to work in the past couple of weeks, and she, you know, she's been in New Jersey throughout this entire pandemic. And then meanwhile, I've and gone. And you know how she got COVID because I feel like your well, mom from, is one of the most like from her from her jobs because she works at Home Depot and she works at UPS and the plant. So there's opportunity for her to come into contact with people. So anyway, yeah, that, that's the whole point. Like there, there's no safe place to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's really small. And yeah, my whole family here in Lima, you know, has all contracted COVID more than once, several times. <laughs> yeah, seriously. In the U.S. too? In the U.S. actually no one has gotten COVID. Mm, that's good. Not in New me. York. Or maybe they never got tested and they got it. Possibly also. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, on my side, um, I never tested for COVID, but I think I possibly got it. And I think I got it in... Um, when I was in Mexico in 55 because I was with living with a family whose mother had COVID. She got really sick and fortunately she survived it. And I think it's the diet because she never saw a doctor. She just ate really fucking healthy and it's a different diet than the one that we have in the US. I think not enough people are testing to know but either way, even if you get the vaccine, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't give it to other people. We just have to keep exploring this shit and be flexible, be adaptable, mm -hmm. try to eat healthy, yeah. try to do some exercise, and most importantly, try to try to have peace of mind and be happy. Yeah. I think that's what's going to keep Absolutely. the vibe. Absolutely. Any last words? Um, wash your hands. <laughs> carry, carry alcoholic sanitizer. Also, just for the so just and moisturize know. also moisturizing totally. your hands. Totally, sanitizer. Yeah, dries it up. Shave butter, baby. No, shave butter, baby. Oh, and if you're traveling with oil or butter, be freaking careful because <laughs> it can explode in your suitcase and stain your clothes. Just. Be careful with that shit. I think that's just because of the outfit. Quadruple baggage. <laughs> put it in a put it in a ziploc. Something that's like sealed completely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, y'all. Until next time. Thank y'all so much for tuning in to the first episode of Nomad Kitties Pandemic Edition Peru. <laughs> we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was so much fun, and it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. But here are some answers to a yes. few questions <laughs> that we raised up during the podcast, and we want y'all to actually have the answers. The first one about the forager's diet, 30% of forager's diet, which includes nuts, tubers, fruits, gas, grass, seeds, 30% <laughs> <Gas>. <laughs> <laughs> of the diet was meat and the rest, 70% was oh, all wow. these veggie things. So that's, yes, a big part of our history and so our that's diets. Because we were wondering how much of the percentage of their diet was meat. Yes, and whether what the difference between forager and hunter was. Okay. So hunters were both killing small game usually because we kind of took a while to step our game up into strategy. Into and extinction. Into extinction. Into animal <laughs> extinction. <laughs> and mass production. And yeah. cow rape. Uh-huh, okay. sorry. sorry. <laughs> I, I'm still eating a little bit of meat. <laughs> so I'm so desensitized. Um, 
Yeah. So So they they hunted small game and scavenged for, you know, whatever was left over from bigger. No, no, no. Scavenged animals that were left over by other animals. Oh, like vultures. We were like little vultures, oh, yeah. Wow. So that made up 30% of our diet. 70% was the veggies, the grass, the For seeds, hunters? the nuts. For hunter-gatherers, because they did okay. both. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next, um, the Industrial Revolution was what sprawled the huge migration out of the Andes region, which includes Arequipa, includes mm-hmm. Cusco, into Lima. There was a lot of factory jobs. People came and migrated for better opportunities, similarly to the Industrial mm-hmm. Revolution back home. In the U.S.? Yes. Where people left, like, rural areas to go to the cities. Farmers like left. New York, yeah. Chicago. Yep. Wow. Yes. So this was happening with the timeline that we were talking about with Alex. It was actually, yeah, a little, bit, a little bit you know, older. Alex was talking about, I think, the 1920s and above. But it happened around the 1890s, mm. similar to our Industrial Revolution, right? Or no, was our 1700? Sure we don't know. No more questions. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Someone let us know in the comments. Yeah, someone let us know in the comments. <laughs> we're trying to just be good. That's all we're trying to do. But don't worry, we have another answer too. Yes. What was the question? What is so the question? Next one is about Japanese community. What was the question? Why, why did they have so many businesses? Why did they have so much success? So why did the Japanese businesses have so much success? Here in Peru. Yes. So our Nikkei peoples, that's the name of the Japanese settlers here, um, came. Uh, they were farmers. They were brought over by their uh, empire to industrialize and, I guess, learn from the city because they were trying to westernize. Hmm. Um, they came, like the first settlers came on four-year contracts, and then from then began to be entrepreneurs hmm. so I'm sure this is not like we can't make everything too simple everybody didn't become an entrepreneur but they did see opportunity and created a lot of businesses and yeah built their homes here some never ever went back to Japan it was like an 80 day trip to get back to Japan that many people didn't do wow. back when it was boats so yeah we encourage y'all to do your own research as well totally we don't have the answers to everything we don't so comment in the comments whatever y'all know and shout out to my Nikkei people, Nikkei, I hope I'm saying Nikkei What are Nikkei? People. Nikkei are what the, um, you call Japanese settlers oh. in Latin America. Could you be a Nikkei if, um, you, only if you're first generation, like only if you're the first people oh. that, like the first generation of people that came here from Japan? Or is that a name that you continue to carry people if your mother or your father was also a settler from Japan? People continue to carry that name, mm-hmm. even throughout, like, first generation, second They're just still Japanese, you know? Wow. So, hell yeah. All right. So those were the three, those were four. I, I merged forager into, like, the diet meat. <laughs> so that was episode one. Uh, we hope y'all enjoyed it. And become a member. You can become a member at patreon.com slash eatmeland. You can join our team, Nomad Kitties. And this episode was made possible for the people, by the people. And Stephanie Sukasaka, Sonia Erika, and El Tres Danova. So, shout out to y'all, and we'll see you at the next adventure. Bye, guys. Thank you again for choosing the Uber Spaceline Express. You are now departing Earth. Enjoy your trip. We're going to Mars.